Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and this morning we want to look at verses 44 through 48. It is always interesting when looking at what to preach. We are looking at moving out of the book of Romans that we were in for this year and heading into the book of Leviticus. And as we sum up, wrap up from last year and look to move into our theme and our book for next year, I was looking for a passage of scripture that would bridge that gap for us. And what came to mind is Luke 24:44, the back half of that verse where Jesus says that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Earlier on, he had appeared to the two disciples, Cleopas and the other disciple, possibly his wife, as they were on the road to Emmaus. And he says something similar to them in verse 27. But here, gathered together with his disciples, he opens up the Old Testament even further and adds in the Psalms and thereby says every part of the Old Testament speaks of me. I know there may be some who are dreading the thought of going into the book of Leviticus next year, but I'm quite excited and I do believe that Christ is everywhere in Scripture and he certainly is in the book of Leviticus. And so my intent was to preach this portion of Scripture and particularly verse 44 to sort of wrap up and sum up what we have been learning through the book of Romans in 2021 and then give us a preview and sort of lay the groundwork as we go into 2022 in the book of Leviticus. However, as always, the text is not the servant of us. We are the servant of the text. And we must always allow the text of Scripture to speak what it says and not to try to make the text of Scripture match what we want to say. Now, I do not believe that was what I was doing in this particular case, and we may yet actually zero in on Luke 24, 44, before we start into the book of Leviticus. But as I looked at verses 44 through 48, I realized that this is not actually the main thrust or the main theme of this passage of Scripture. But instead, that comes in verse 48, where Jesus reminds his disciples that they are witnesses of all of these things. This is essentially Luke's version of the Great Commission. We have it in the other Gospels, certainly the Synoptics, uh, Matthew and Mark. But here in Luke, this is sort of his version of what we know as the Great Commission. And as I was studying and putting this together for this morning, I'm so glad, as always, that God's Holy Spirit moved in the way that he is to move and redirected things, I might say, a little bit. I believe then that the theme of this passage of Scripture is witnesses, and that is the title for this morning's sermon. 
We have seen something. We have experienced something. We have met someone. And we now, therefore, cannot unhear that, unsee that, and unbelieve that. And so there is on us, then, the reality of being witnesses to it. The disciples were forever changed by the things that they saw, the things that they read and saw fulfilled in Christ, the miracles that they saw, three of them to see him in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. There was much that they were witnesses of, and so Jesus lays on them an obligation, certainly of sorts, in his power, but an obligation nonetheless. That since they had seen these things, they were to be witnesses of these things. I think this is also very appropriate for this particular Sunday and the time that we find ourselves in. I think most of us thought that we would be out of whatever it is that we're in within a month or two. We think back to March of 2020, we didn't really know what was going on. We were hearing some global news. We knew that something was coming, and so we kind of prepared as best we could and did different things, and yet it was always for a short period of time. And here we are, almost two years later, uh, in whatever it is that this is. And in particular, perhaps, as we sit here this morning, you are watching, by and large, online, and that is also not what we wanted. Many of you had to cancel plans for travel, either off-island to other provinces or family that was going to come from off-island to here. Things had to be rearranged or postponed or canceled altogether. This is not what we wanted. And so what is intriguing to me is in my own heart, and I'm sure in all of our hearts, we have a tendency to do a number of things when things don't go our way. We certainly can lash out. Some of us are prone to anger. And so we get on our social media feed and on any platform that will have us and hasn't yet removed us, and we will rant and we will rave and we will bring all these politics and charts and graphs and the latest science, so-called, from our particular guru, at least the one that agrees with us about this particular situation, and we will kind of go that route. Some of us are a bit more... Uh, private in our frustration and anger and annoyance. And so we won't say too much publicly, perhaps, but privately in our own hearts, we are not pleased. We grumble, we complain, we murmur, and certainly to those in our close inner circle, we do that. Our family, no doubt, gets an earful, especially the family members that disagree with us on our particular point of view on all of this. And so there is division and there is oftentimes even destruction, relationships divided and even destroyed through all of this. There are many different responses that we can have, but all of those responses, apart from the grace that God supplies through Jesus Christ by his spirit, are fleshly responses, and at their core, they're all responses of self. And so one of the major tendencies that we certainly have when things do not go our way is that we collapse inward. We go into ourselves. What about me? What about my needs, my desires, my wants, my wishes? 
This was my holiday season. This was my Christmas. This was my, my, my. And we tend to collapse inward. We do not think of others and their needs. We do not generally even recognize anyone else but ourselves. And our whole world then consists exclusively of us. We reduce God to almost nothing in our view, and we expand ourselves, or attempt to, to his level. What about me? And what an amazing passage that we have before us in Luke 24, 44 through 48. To set this up, you have to understand what the disciples have been through. They're a mixed bag of individuals, to be sure. One was a tax collector. He was collecting revenue for the Roman overlords, for the oppressors. He no doubt would have been viewed as a traitor to the Jewish cause and certainly to Jewish independence. And whether or not he lined his pockets by collecting extra, we are not told. We know Zacchaeus did that, and no doubt other tax collectors and publicans did the same. You have then in that same group of individuals, an individual who may have been a zealot, whose way of handling the government was not to, if you can't beat them, join them, as in one disciple's case, but to actually fight private guerrilla warfare against the Roman overlords and to attempt to assassinate individual Roman soldiers and anyone that he could get close to and do so without getting caught. These two individuals on very different and distinct sides of the debate and discussion over how to handle the government were in part of Jesus' 12. We had individuals that were fishermen and they had left their occupation. Jesus said, come, follow me. And they dropped everything and did. And so this ragtag group of individuals, no doubt from very different social backgrounds, very different political views, very different economic statuses are together as the disciples of Jesus Christ. And what they've seen in the last little bit over the last weekend has been devastating to them. One of their own, one that no doubt they trusted to a great degree, at least that's implied by the fact that this individual carried around any money, any gifts that were given to Jesus and his disciples. He had openly and first secretly and then openly, or at least privately amongst the group, betrayed Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of their own that had been with them for the last three years, gave Jesus up to the religious authorities. There were a number of kangaroo courts, a number of misleading and contradictory testimonies. Some disciples were there, many were not, many scattered even from the Garden. They were afraid. This was the one. They banked everything on this. This was the Messiah, the Son of God. They had seen it with their own eyes, and most recently they watched as he said, Lazarus, come forth, and a person that had been dead for four days walked out of the tomb. They banked everything on this. He was the Son of God, indestructible, victorious. He was going to fulfill all the prophecies, they left their jobs, in some cases perhaps even their families, to be a part of this entourage, part of these disciples. Jesus was it, and now he had been arrested. 
and they watched in horror as one of their own betrayed him and then Jesus was crucified and died. This was not how this was supposed to go. We sit here this morning and say, yes, things did not go this Christmas season the way we wanted them to. That pales into comparison to the disciples and things not going the way that they expected they would. And now they don't know what to do. They're fearful. We know that they're gathered together in a room together. They've been told, and they have seen an empty tomb at this point. They've been told that the resurrection has taken place. And even though they've seen it at least three occasions through Jesus' earthly ministry, they don't necessarily believe it. And in fact, as late as Matthew 28, when he gathers with them in Galilee, up on the mountain that was predetermined, it says some doubted. There was still fear in their hearts. It is into this scene that Jesus comes and reminds them of the two things that we have been reminded of this year. They need to look upward and they need to look outward. Right now, they're consumed with looking inward. What are we going to do? What if they come for us? Peter's already denied that he even knows Jesus three times. They've been seen with him for three years. If they can get him, they can get the rest of us. <clears throat> and even in our Bible reading this morning from Zechariah, a passage that Jesus quoted in his earthly ministry, if you strike the shepherd, you will scatter the sheep. It is into this context <clears throat> that Jesus comes, and starting in verse 36, he meets with them, and they do not believe that it's him. So he shows them himself, invites them to actually touch his body, to see that it's not ethereal. They think that he might be a ghost or a spirit of some kind, and he actually eats something in front of them. And then he has something to say to them, starting in verse 44. So hopefully you have your Bibles then. Luke 24, starting to read at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of God. What had they been witnesses of in the first place? They had been witnesses to the truth. This is something that is very relevant in our day. The question that Pilate had of Jesus before his crucifixion, what is truth? We are inundated with news. We are inundated with stats and facts, supposedly, reports from the moment that we open our eyes in the morning until we close them at night later than we should, we are ingesting information. We are not suffering from a lack of information. We're suffering from an abundance of information. 
And the disciples here had seen a lot and experienced a lot. But one thing they had witnessed is the truth. And we have as well if we are in him this morning. We notice that in the first place that Jesus is the truth. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus had said to his disciples previously in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. In the midst of an abundance, a superabundance of information, in the midst of chaos and a cacophony of voices vying for our attention, in the midst of all kinds of politics and politicking, in the midst of everything that is going on in our lives, even this morning, through all of that noise, there is one incontrovertible fact, Jesus is the truth. And this is not a Sunday school thing where Jesus is the answer to every question. This is the reality that no matter what shakes us, our foundation ought always to be Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the truth. Notice in the second place that he spoke the truth. These are my words that I spoke to you, he says, while I was with you. Jesus' words match the words of God, and that makes complete sense because he is God. So Jesus did not speak anything that was contrary to the word of God. He says in Matthew chapter 5, I did not come to get rid of the law, I came to fulfill the law. Jesus was one who spoke the truth. Are we as his followers? I have seen Christians post articles and videos that are not true. They are objectively false, deceptive, wrong. And yet because they advance a certain narrative, they are posted as if they are true. We ought to be lovers of truth. We ought to be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to hear. As witnesses and followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus only ever spoke the truth. He is the truth. And it ought to be the same with us as witnesses to the truth. Is what we're saying true? Is it objectively verified? Does it match with reality? And are we keeping the main thing the main thing? Are we speaking more of other things than Christ or are we speaking primarily and mainly of him? Notice the part of the passage that originally drew it, uh, me to it. The word is the truth. These things are written about Jesus in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus is not an anomaly. He is in the sense that he is the God-man. He is unique. But he is not outside of the revelation from God. He is the prime revelation of God, the Word in John 1. And his revelation matches what had come previously. He spoke what is written in the Word. And he uses the threefold designation for the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, the first five books, what we know as the Pentateuch, the prophets, major and minor historical books as we would call them, and then the Psalms, the writings, 
which includes Ecclesiastes and Job and Proverbs and the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. In everything from Genesis to Malachi, it speaks of Jesus. And so Jesus is the Word and He is the truth and who He is and what He spoke and what He did is in line with the Word. And so are we saturated in the Word? Are we reading the Word more than we are logging into our favorite social media news site? Are we digesting, marinating in, meditating upon the Word of God more than the latest article by our favorite blogger? Are we taking in the word and are we seeing him in and through it? That is our hope every single Sunday. Notice in the fourth place we can understand the truth. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, as we read the scriptures, we are able to understand them in their fullness and also how they apply directly to us. And so it is not then a case of ignorance. We can know the truth and we can understand it. And notice the truth is accessible to all. And said to them, thus it is written, anyone has a copy of the word of God can know and understand the truth. So this isn't something hidden. Far too often, especially throughout this time that we've been in, there's been these little groups. Our group has a piece of information that nobody else has. And if you come into our group and you're a part of our inside circle, then you'll be in the know. You'll you'll know, but it's secret, but not everybody knows it. Or there's a secret (coughs) conspiracy and there's a small group of conspirators who are running the show behind the scenes and all these kinds of things that are out there. The truth is accessible to all, anybody can access the Word of God in almost every language around the planet. And those that do not yet have the Word of God in their language, individuals are actively working on it. Jesus says it is written about me. All these things that I did and all that I am have been revealed in the Old Testament. Notice in the second place there are witnesses to the gospel. Jesus is the Savior, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we are to be about. This is what should be ready on our lips. This is what should inform us. This is, should, be, be, should be what we're passionate about. In the last year and a bit, or two years, it would appear that many that claim to be Christians are more passionate about things other than the gospel than they are about the gospel. Jesus said, this is what was written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that on the cross, Jesus Christ should bear the penalty for our sins as the perfect sacrificial lamb, that he should die, bear the full weight of the penalty of our sins, and that he should rise again the third day on a Sunday long ago. That actually happened, he walked out of the tomb alive, conquering sin and death for us. This is the message that we should be proclaiming. This is what we should be living out. Notice the response of repentance, and that repentance should be proclaimed. This is what we are to call people to. This is what we are to call ourselves to. 
So much of our day is about power. Who controls power? Who has power? Who gets to dictate the narrative? Who gets to control what people say and don't say and where they go and where they don't go? And none of this is the message that we ought to have as believers because it's not about power. Jesus has all the power. All power is given to me, he says, in heaven and on earth. And as followers of him, it's not about our voice being heard. It's about him being magnified and proclaimed. And what we're to call ourselves to and those around us to is repentance. To in humility submit to him. And then we notice the beauty of forgiveness. And forgiveness. Today, if you repent, recognize and acknowledge that you are a sinner lost and undone before the thrice holy creator of the universe. That you are the problem, I am the problem, and we are not the solution. That no matter how hard we try, we still make things worse. We mess up repeatedly. And even as we come into the season of New Year's resolutions, we know and understand that we cannot keep them. We certainly cannot keep them perfectly. We on our own, in our own strength, are hopeless and helpless. We need a savior. But if we come to God, instead of continuing to run away from him, he is our hope. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us love. He sent his son to become one of us, to take our penalty on himself, so that we could be declared righteous because of his righteousness. As I mentioned last Sunday, I believe, in every other belief system out there, we are attempting to ascend up to deity only in the truth. Only in Christianity does God descend to us. This is offered available to us even this morning. And notice the blessing then of proclamation should be proclaimed. This is good news indeed. That in the darkest times, and we certainly are in a dark time now, but not nearly as dark as other places around the world or other times in history. But there is a dark time to be sure, and even in the darkness that we're currently in, there is light, there is hope, there is joy, there is peace, there is love, and all of that is Jesus Christ. It's through him. We have a message to proclaim, that if we repent of our sins and our attempts to better ourselves to no or little avail, if we recognize that we are sinners lost and undone before God and we seek his forgiveness and his salvation, he will give it to us. This is the message that we proclaim. Notice it's proclaimed in his name. Jesus then is Lord and Savior as we started off this major point with. Jesus is the Savior, he is the Lord and Savior. We proclaim his name, not in ours, in his. He alone can save. Do you recognize and realize that everybody in your family could come around, so to speak, to your political position? I highly doubt that would actually be the case, but let's say for hypothetical case that it did. That they came around and saw this pandemic and virus exactly as you do. And they come to you and they say, look, I'm wrong. I admit it. I should have seen it. Now I see it your way. You were right all along. They could come around to your position politically, economically, in all ways, according to your view on this pandemic, And they could still be lost in their sins and on their way to uh, righteous judgment in hell forever. Why are we proclaiming our stuff in our name and why do we continually make everything about us? It's not about us, it never was, it never will be. It's all about him and for his glory. So what is the message on our lips? 
It ought to be the message of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we need to bow to him first. Why would people come and believe a gospel that we are actively living like we don't need? If we are Lord and Savior of our own lives, then why would anybody that we are speaking about him to trust in him? Why would anybody lean on him if we aren't? Why do we actively deny so much of what we say we believe in our witnesses to? Notice in the third place, both global and local witness. To all nations, global witness to the gospel, everyone should hear this message. Everyone should hear that there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Everyone should hear that God loves them and gave his son for them, but that God is also holy and righteous. And if they deny him, if they reject him, they will be righteously judged. Then also, local witness to the gospel beginning from Jerusalem is to start right where they are and spread out and radiate from there. This is our message. This is our task. We could bring everybody on our social media feed, every single follower we have on Instagram or everybody that subscribes to our YouTube channel, every single person that we have reached to could come around to our political opinion, could come around to any number of things, our position on any number of items. But if they do not hear that they are sinners in need of a Savior, then our message is not the message that Christ left for us to proclaim. And it is, not, is showing itself not to be the message that is central to our lives as it ought to be. This then comes to the theme verse of this whole passage. Jesus looks at his disciples. This fearful, down at least one person, group of individuals. And he says to them, you are witnesses of these things. The task now is, uh, is, is yours. You cannot unsee what you have seen. You cannot unhear what you've heard. You cannot unbelieve what you know to be true. Now that you have seen it, heard it, and believed it, it is on you to proclaim it. You are witnesses of these things. And so what is our response this morning, Grace Baptist Church? Our response is all who know the truth must live and proclaim the truth. We say that we believe that God is graciously sovereign over all things, and yet we live, oftentimes, in fear. How can we, who have been witnesses to all that God has done, including the miracle of our own salvation, we know who we used to be, and we know who we now are in Christ, and who he's making us in Christ. Why do we doubt him so often? We who say we believe God is good, why does it characterize us so often with complaining, grumbling, murmuring, discontentment in our hearts? We say that godliness with contentment is great gain, and yet we do not live it, and therefore we do not proclaim it. We say that the word of God is truth. We say that it is our source for authority, and yet far too often we live as, as though other things are our authority and our sources of truth to us. You are witnesses of these things. Grace Baptist Church, we've spent an entire year going through the book of Romans. 
you have heard faithfully preached to you throughout 2021 the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power thereof. What it is, chapters 1 through 8, chapters 9 through 11, bringing together of Jews and Gentiles, there's no one beyond the scope of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that looks like lived out, chapters 12 through 16. You've heard the gospel. Now as we go into 2022, you are witnesses of these things. Many of us, I think, need to do some introspection. Where have we made it about us? Where have we circled the wagons? Where have we gone inward instead of looking upward and reaching outward? Where have we made it about us? What needs to change by God's grace and because of the good news of the gospel so that we make it more about him? This is our message. This is what we're called to proclaim. And there are so many people around us that are struggling just like we are, that are hurting just like we are, but with one exception. They don't have a relationship with God through Jesus by the Spirit. We do, or we say we do. Are we proclaiming that to others? That is our, our, our message. We are witnesses of these things. I pray that going into 2022 and beyond, Grace Baptist Church will be known for how we proclaim the gospel and how we live out the gospel. And that we live in such a way that life is not about us, but it's about him. It's about God and his glory. And because of that, it is also about others. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. It is clear it is precise, it is comforting, and it is also convicting. Father, I pray that we would be clear as to what we are about. In the midst of all the noise, in the midst of all the confusion and chaos, in the midst of all of the news, so-called by times, in the midst of opinions, in the midst of tribalism, in the midst of division, in the midst of all of these things, Father, may we see clear what our goal is. May we see clear what our message is. The disciples were given great clarity. They thought, perhaps, that Jesus would cast off Roman oppression and would that bring in Jewish independence and superiority and dominance. That was not Jesus' message. That was not Jesus' plan. And so they needed to adapt and understand that their goal was then not political. Their goal was spiritual. They had an idea that the Gentiles were unwashed. They were pagans. They were outside of the love and mercy and grace of God and that Jesus, as a Jew, was only a savior for the Jews. They had to come to understand that was not Jesus' message. It was not who Jesus was. Yes, he was Jewish, but he was not just a Jewish Messiah, but he had come for people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. The message was for everyone. A hard lesson for some of the disciples in particular to learn, but they eventually got there. They had to learn, Father, that you are in control of all things. And you do not bend to our plans. You do not seek advice from us. You do not change your mind as we do. 
Situation does not change because new information is gained. You have all the information. You're the source of everything. And so, Father, their trust in you needed to grow. Your son attempted to teach them that and to model that. And yet, far too often, they and we doubt, fear. And so, Father, help us to renew our understanding of the gospel and to live it and to proclaim it. This is what we have been called to do. This is our task. It has not changed. It has not morphed into something else. It has not gone off in a different direction. In every generation, you've called us to reach our generation with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that although we are great sinners, there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. May we remember our calling, not only in 2021, but into 2022, whatever that might hold. Our calling remains the same. Help us to be steadfast in it. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.